This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. Everybody has a story, and we're captivated by each other's stories when told from the heart. Today, we're going to hear from a man who was on track to be a doctor and ended up a rock star. And you know what the lead singer of Kansas was doing before he took the stage? You're going to find out. But first, meet Kate McKinnon, a feng shui expert who mindfully crafted her exit from a career in finance, technology, and textile design to create a second act. That includes things like spending the summer in Spain, where she is right now. Kate, a New Yorker, took a six-week course on becoming a powerful speaker, and that included the creation of the this five-minute video presentation. Listen in. Imagine what it would be like to not be able to hear. This is how I've lived most of my life. I'm 63 years old. When I was one and a half, I had meningitis and lost the hearing in my left ear. Meningitis is an inflammation of the membrane around the brain and the spinal cord. And because of its proximity, it's considered life-threatening. As a child, the symptoms are not specific, so it was difficult to detect. So I'm very lucky that it was caught early. When I was four, my mother died. It was a beautiful day at the lake. The sky was blue, the sun was warm, and she was picking me up and splashing me and picking me up and splashing me, and we're laughing, and suddenly she collapsed. My father came running, picked her up, put her in the car and drove away, and that's the last time I saw my mother. It was Thanksgiving time at my grandparents, and I asked, when is mommy coming home? My aunts and uncles looked at me in stunned silence. My dad had never told me that my mother was not coming home. He took it for granted I was too young to understand, and so he never told me. The following year, my father wanted to take a movie of my brothers and me in front of the apple tree. So my brother Peter climbed first, then my brother Bruce and David. And all that time I was standing there looking at my dad, smiling, and suddenly he was yelling at me. He wanted me to climb the tree too, but he couldn't understand that I couldn't hear him. By the time I climbed the tree, I was crying, my brothers were laughing, and this was all caught on home movie. What I realized is my dad understood that I had a deaf ear, but he didn't really know what that meant. And so he took a lot of things for granted, that he didn't need to tell me things. I had hearing my right ear, and the rest of it was no big deal. Following winter, my father remarried, and I started kindergarten. It was in kindergarten that some people realized that maybe I was deaf in one ear. And my mother tested me with a Kleenex in one ear and saying words in my left ear and asking me what I heard. I only heard the Kleenex and not the words. Fast forward to college, I was sitting with my friends in the dining hall and one of my buddies was sitting right next to me on the left side. And he got up at one point and he went to the right. He went to get seconds, he came back and he sat next to me on the right side. He started telling me this story and then asked, Kate, are you deaf in your left ear? And I had to think about it. And I said, yes, I am, why? He said, well, when I was on the left side, I told you this story and you didn't respond, which I thought was really odd. So I made an excuse to go get seconds and come sit on the right side and tell you the exact same story. So after that, I walked around campus and I thought about what it meant to be deaf in one ear. 
that I have a disability and it's invisible so people don't see it. That it takes a nanosecond for me to hear conversations because it takes a nanosecond for a sound to get in my physical ear and then for my brain to understand what happens. So very often I appear hesitant because I'm not sure that I've heard everything correctly. When I thought about a disability, I felt shame because I look normal. But what happens is sometimes I get a deer in a headlight look or I say something out of context because I don't hear correctly and people look at me puzzled or sometimes with judgment. What I've come to know is that I felt isolation, which is very common for people who can't hear or don't hear with both ears. And that what I've come to know also is the loss of my hearing has been one of my greatest gifts because when I'm listening, I'm actually watching what people are saying, and their body language actually says more than their words. It's like the television. If you turn off the sound and watch what people are doing, it's quite telling. So what I've come to learn is we can never really know when we look at someone what is going on, the challenges they face, or the courage it takes sometime each day to show up, and for me, that when I can let go of my need of appearing normal and tell people what's really happening, that I have true connections with people and I can touch and be touched. Thank you. Kate McKinnon, a newly minted, fearless speaker. Now looking at Kate, with her expressive eyes and wavy hair, you'd never know how she was perceiving the world. Since receiving a hearing implant, Kate now has plans to continue speaking about her story and her feng shui. We'll get a few tips coming up. But first, Kate, in your video, we hear your isolation, things being kept from you. What did you learn in the process of becoming a fearless speaker? I realized it developed a way of listening to people. Visually, I am aware of my world. And on many levels, I watch people when they speak. I watch their body language. Sometimes it's kind of incongruous, and I pick up on that. I realize in feng shui, when I'm working with people, I'm reading them, I'm reading their energy, I'm reading their body language, I'm reading what's going on sort of physically in the world, but also on another level. You've just got all your other senses on high alert because you don't want to miss anything. Exactly. I'm reading all the time. All right, Um, so you took this this speaker salon course, a Uh six-week course, and and you wanted Uh to become this fearless speaker because you've got things to share, and then you have Uh this five-minute video. When you finally took a look at your video, how did you feel? Um, I honestly, I got it, and I couldn't look at it right away. And then I finally looked at it, and it was very moving for me. The first time I watched, I watched it with my husband who knows my story and has lived with me and, you know, sort of knows what it's like to live with how I live. Makes him cry every time. Aww. He's not a crier. Makes him cry. He sees courage. I don't see that. I just, just moves me that I actually, the courage wasn't sharing my story. The courage wasn't that I do what I do. The courage wasn't sharing my story. Now you can so personally understand what it is like for older people. I know I had an older, a great aunt who lost her hearing yeah. and it was so desperately isolating for her just yeah. desperately yeah. isolating she loved to be the yeah. life of the party and no longer could be because she couldn't hear the voices coming from all the different directions but now right. that you're in a place where you can and you have these tools to help you can you talk to us about what you learned about being a fearless speaker what's a takeaway that you can share with us the 
most important thing and the thing that I think that you responded to and I'm finding people is to really be authentic. Really talk from a place of I know or this is who I am because that's actually what people are responding to. You have to dig deep sometimes that that's the place to speak from and people really do respond and it's scary sometimes to be that vulnerable. It's like I, I looked at my video and I said, my God, you know, my hair is kind of wild. I just came back from Italy. I don't what's with the dress? You know, and that's like, and I said, that's not, people don't see that. They're responding to that deeper thing. That, yeah. that was my biggest, and, and to continue to be that even some Sometimes I go, I don't know that I want to be that vulnerable again. And then just say, no, but that's actually where I need to be speaking from because that's what people connect with. And now that we know that, that you have to speak from that place of deep, deep knowing, it makes sense to me why certain songs last and are loved generation after generation because they speak to that deep, honest truth that yes. someone was expressing, right? So it really does yes. make sense that no, even if we didn't know who you were, as many people never heard of you before, they were definitely grabbed by what you had to say, you know? And now we feel yeah. like we know you so well because you shared that part of yourself with us. So you're going to yeah. go out and do more speaking for sure, but can we just pick your little feng shui brain for one minute before we let you go? Of course, of course. Because I know you love that too. So if you were going mm -hmm. to give a, a talk on feng shui, maybe something we could do to create a, a, a better feeling home. When I work with people, I, I always ask, where is the place that they don't like to go to? That's usually the place where they're blocked, right? The energy is blocked. The most common thing is there's either a breakage, right? Like I've had people with like, oh, the refrigerator's broken. Well, that's an easy one, fix the refrigerator. The pipe's broken. We have leaking wire. But the biggest thing is clutter. Mm. It's the number one offender. And so a lot of it about, well, what's in there that needs to be cleared out and really to look at that. The other thing is how energy enters space and to really look at the doorway and say, is it inviting? Is it blocked? A lot of times people put things in their front hallway or whatever. Or is it open and inviting? And I would say that's probably the, the two biggest things. One, where it's a blocked energy, generally there's clutter or something that's not working there. And that's huge. And when that starts moving, it opens up other things. And the entryway is one of the most important, important things. And I'm going to give one more is to look at, really look at your bedroom. That's the, one of the other, because it's all about health and well-being, really. Feng Shui is about creating health and well-being. And your sleep is so, so important. We look at what kind of bed are you sleeping on? Is it a good mattress? You know, make sure there's no clutter under the bed. People store things under the bed all the time, put crazy stuff in their closets. The bedroom is about sleeping and well-being and not having a lot of electronics, not having TV. I'm giving a lot of information. <laughs> but those are really three. The blocks, how the energy enters your space, and your bedroom. Kate McKinnon, fearless speaker with a few feng shui tips. Find out more at Casey.co. Thanks for tuning in to Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. Coming up, we're going to hear two more stories from a couple of rock and rollers. Together, we can turn a stairwell into an ER at a moment's notice. Together, we can turn a rescue ship for refugees into a maternity ward. Together, 
Together, we can vaccinate 710,000 people in just 11 days. Together, we can deliver medical care where the need is greatest. Together, we are Doctors Without Borders. Doctors Without Borders goes where others don't to provide life-saving medical care to people caught in crisis situations around the world. Learn more at doctorswithoutborders.org. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forest can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for shining on today. Well, I got to speak to two rock and rollers this week about their stories. And boy, did I get this one wrong. I'll explain in a bit. Maybe you'll even catch it. Now the star of the Allman Brothers tribute band live at the Fillmore, Lou Maresca started playing accordion when he was just a kid in New Jersey. So I asked, who else in your family played accordion? Nobody. Really? No, no, nobody. You just said, I want to play the accordion when you were a little kid? I didn't say I wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I see it now. (laughs) See, this brings to mind a joke. There's an accordion player on his way to a gig. On his way, he wants to drop his tuxedo off at the dry cleaners. He parks his car, his accordion's in the backseat. He walks into the dry cleaners. He's back out. His window's broken. There's glass all over the sidewalk. He's freaking out. He looks in the backseat of his car, and there's two accordions. (laughs) <laughs> I get it I get it Accordion okay. humor And now you are at the helm of Live at the Fillmore Oh my god, I am? Yeah, it's you It's uh, You're in charge Okay So for those uh, uninitiated What can you tell people about your tribute group? Well, Live at the Fillmore has been Acknowledged as the number one tribute To the Allman Brothers Band For about ten years you know, I put the band together and said, look, we're, we're not going to make this stuff up as we go along. We're going to treat this as if it's a Beethoven score. The notes are already on the page. We don't have to recreate any of it. We just have to perform it authentically with passion. The guys do that, and uh, the audience appreciates it. Here's what I want to know. Yeah. Why? What was your motivation to create or recreate this music? I heard the band in the early years. I saw the band many, many times in 7071, including Fillmore East in March when the album was recorded. And also, I was back in June of 71 for the very last public concert at Fillmore East, which was the, the Saturday night late show in June. That was, even by members of the band, uh, Allman Brothers Band, that was the best performance they ever gave. They call, they call it the show. And I was just like many other people who saw the band uh, at the time, blown away by uh, what they were doing on stage. It was just an amazing experience musically. And I started a band in, I guess, 71 called Sky Dog. We were an Allman Brothers tribute band. I always wanted to, to do it again. So about 10 years ago, I just decided to do it, put the band together, and uh, 
you know, the rest, as they say, is history. And it's, it's a decade later. We just came off the Southern Rock Cruise at the end of January with Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker Band, Molly Hatchet, 38 Special, The Outlaws, Atlanta Rhythm Section, J-Mo's Jazz Band, J-Mo's from the Allman Brothers Band, and many other uh, Southern Rock bands. And guys from the other bands all wanted to get up and play with us during our set, which was the best part of the whole trip for us. You know, being in that company was, was really very, uh, very special. It was, you know, kind of an honor for us to, to be the guys that were up there playing the music of the Allman Brothers Band among these other, uh, you know, very auspicious Southern rock bands. I mean, that's a lot of validation right there. That's wonderful. Now, yeah, you, yeah. you've met Dwayne Allman a couple times. So when you met him... Did you have Sky Dog yet, or were you planning Sky Dog, or does he have any idea? No. No, okay. No, 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 no. I mean, he, he, he knew I was a guitarist, because I had mentioned that in the conversation. When we met, it was always very brief, because it was after an Allman Brothers concert, something like that. You know, he's, he's running to get back to the green room, or, or wherever they were going next. The conversations that I had with Dwayne were pretty brief. One show that just stays in my memory is I saw them at the Schaefer Summer Concert Series in Central Park. And at the end of the show, I asked him for one of his Coruscant bottles, which is the glass bottle that he played slide guitar with. Mm-hmm. There was a cold medication back then called Coruscant, and he used to buy these things by the case and you know empty them, and that's what he used to play slide guitar. So he did give me the slide uh, bottle that he was using that night, and I still have it, and I still I still use it to play. Wow. Let me ask you this: If you weren't at the helm of Live at the Fillmore, what would you be doing? Um, I uh, I might be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I thought maybe. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I look. I I went to school and I got degrees in microbiology and biophysics. And really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I was uh, I did some research for about a year uh, in a biophysics lab at Penn State, and I realized that research was was just too solitary for me. Uh, it just didn't suit my my nature. But I was going to go to medical school, and I took a year off to think about it, and that year turned into a lot more, and I, I just never went back and pursued it. I, I have a lot of friends who, who are doctors, and they they now tell me that I'm living the life, and, uh, you know, I uh, they wish they were me, and I, uh, I always tell them, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> you might get it. People will ask me, hey, hey, Lou, how you doing? And I first thing out of my mouth is, ah, I, I haven't had a bad day in my life. When I got back into playing, and I put Live at the Fillmore together, that made a big change. Now I, I get up and I know that's how I'm gonna spend my day. And really, I don't go to work ever. I mean, it's not work, it's just, it's a pleasure to, to know that that's what you're gonna do. The audiences are amazing. Lou Maresca of Live at the Fillmore. Everybody has a story, and his is, he could have been a doctor. I should have kept my mind a little more open on that one. I'll make it up to him when I introduce Live at the Fillmore at Peekskill Riverfront Green, Sunday, August 4th. And speaking of bands, Ronnie Platt, he's the lead singer of Kansas. He's got a story. Ronnie, tell everybody what you did before you became a rock star. I was driving a truck in the beautiful town of Chicago. You know, I've been in bands all my life. I had a, a nice little stint in a band called Shooting Star from 2007 to 2011. And then in 2014, I happened to see uh, Steve Walsh's announcement of his retirement. I contacted Rich Williams guitar player extraordinaire for Kansas. And uh, next thing I know, five days later, I'm the lead singer for Kansas. <laughs> Dream come true, right? Yeah, pretty quick. You know, it's like, wake up, new life. 
wake up new life. So you were a truck driver by day and a rock and roll singer by night. Yes. Yeah, my, I've lived a double life my entire life. I sure have. So tell me about, you know, what were your dreams as a kid? Is th- Was this your dream as a kid? No, not really. It's just, you know, my family was, was extremely musical. I, I just loved the music. All different kinds. When I, you know, when I grew up, there weren't, you know, a, a thousand different genres like there are now. You know, I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, as a little kid listening to AM radio, and you would hear, uh, you know, Motown hit, and then hear, you know, a Deep Purple song. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really vast, and I, I just loved it all, and just naturally went into music but I don't think I ever really had a vision of being a big rock star when I was a little kid I just really got off on playing my guitars my bass guitar and and singing and that just kind of like laid the path to to where I am now I guess how much pressure though how much pressure to go out and be the lead singer of Kansas you know generations grew up with this music they know every word to every song you kind of can't fool them did you feel a lot of pressure stepping out on stage the first time absolutely I was scared to death you know here I am taking over for one of my all-time idols, who was just a rock and roll singer icon, Steve Walsh, you know, and it's like, and it was so funny. I happened to see an episode of Behind the Music mm-hmm. with Sticks, Lawrence Gowan, the keyboard player that took over for Dennis DeYoung, was talking about how some, not all, but some of the fans of Sticks were, well, not exactly kind to him Mm -hmm. when he first joined the band. So here I'm watching this episode right before my first show with Kansas. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, they're going to lynch me. They're going to kill me. But you know what? I've been well received far beyond my wildest expectations and it's just been absolutely fantastic. Wow. That makes all the difference in the world. You know, that they welcomed you. They love the music. They love that you're singing it. Now, do you ever miss any of the guys and the life you used to have back driving the truck? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, the last company I was with, I was with for 10 years and uh, my two co-workers, my two driving co-workers are just absolutely great guys. Every day was fun. You know, every day, no matter what you're doing, it it is what you make of it. We really had a good time. I mean, I I never had the the feeling of getting up in the morning and go, oh, I don't want to go to work today. I was always anxious to get to work. It is what you make of it, right? It is what you make of it. It sounds like you have the perfect attitude, and there's no question why good fortune found you, and you are now the lead vocalist for Kansas. And you're coming to New York. Have you been here before? Many times, many times. How long have you been with the group now? You know, Casey, I can't believe I am about to start my fifth year in Kansas. I can't tell you where the past four years have gone. Gone by like the blink of an eye, every second being great. Yeah, so you've seen the whole country probably a couple times. 
oh, it'd be easier to add up the places I haven't been at this point. <laughs> you know, it makes me think about Phil and Rich, uh, you know, Phil E. Hart, drummer and CEO of Kansas, and Rich Williams, guitar player of Kansas, both founding members, to think about where they've been over 45 years of Kansas is just amazing. Kansas is now in their 45th year. Is that not amazing? I can't even accept that. You know, it's hard to take that in, 45 years. Well, that's because you're 22. Exactly right. And so are you. And so are you. All right. So tell us, what's the first song you're going to sing when you get to Terrytown? Do you know? You really want me to let the cat out of the bag? I do. I do. Okay. Well, we're starting this show off with On the Other Side, but then we go into Point of No Return. And after that, you're just going to have to come and witness the rest of the show. Perfect. All right, Ronnie Platt, we wish you the best. We're so, so happy for your success. Tell us where we can go to get more information about the band. Absolutely the best place, kansasband.com. It's that simple. Everything is on there. Upcoming dates, history of the band, personnel of the band, everything you ever want to know about Kansas, kansasband.com. That is the place to go. Ronnie Platt. Don't you love him? Lead singer of Kansas coming to Terrytown Music Hall August 17th. Get details at Casey.co. Our thought for the day from Don Miguel Ruiz. Every human is an artist, and this is the main art that we have, the creation of our story. Shine On. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.